0: book of 1 Samuel. We're moving pretty pretty good there, and it's, just been, it's been a great book. I want to look at the 30th verse of that 18th chapter, then I'll take off, but this is what it says. 18th chapter, 30th verse, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely, more prudent than all the servants of Saul. So, that his name became highly esteemed. Of course, David's name means beloved. And his name is mentioned more than anyone else in Scripture besides Jesus Christ. Uh, Abraham, there's about 12 chapters spoken of Abraham. About 13 chapters that we learn of Joseph, the theme of Joseph. But it's 65 chapters on David. He gets more press than anyone, like I said, beside Jesus. And David really wasn't a common name. Matter of fact, it's the first name. David is the first one named in the scriptures right here. But when it says David becomes highly esteemed, the nation hasn't been this uh, close together since Samuel, since Samuel, in his prime that the, the nation has gathered together in the victories and all those things. Well, that's what's happening with David now. He's going out, he's fighting victories, and, he, and he's winning those victories because he's counting and he's depending on the Lord. And Psalms 2, as we read this chapter, is very relevant in the life of Saul because Psalm 2 speaks of a sovereign God response to man's pathetic way of thinking he can thwart the hand of God. And that's what Saul is doing, but he's going to find out that he can't win. Psalms 2 verse 1 through 3 says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. God responds in a kind of a flippant, nonchalant way. And he says this, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. That's what he does when man kicks against the pricks of his. The Lord shall hold them in derision, mockery, ridicule. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. God is saying, no matter what man tries to do, my will be, will be done. And Saul is a perfect example, biblical example anyway, of a man trying to frustrate the will of God, the hand of God. Yes, Saul may be mad at this time, but Saul has a lot of power he can, he can uh, wield. But his problem is, he's enraged by jealousy and envy. Because of David, a man who loves him, a man that is being obedient to him, but because of his jealousy and his outburst of anger, he's trying to kill David. But of course, God is not going to let that happen. Saul is also a precursor or a prototype of the Pharisees, We're reminded of the Pharisees and the religious leaders as Jesus is going into the temple and doing other things and they're out to kill him. But we know Jesus always says, my hour has not yet come. Same here with David. He doesn't have to worry about anything because Samuel has already said, you're going to be king. But how soon David begins to forget those words, and we can fall into that same trap also. We know the Lord is for us. If the Lord is forced, who can be against us? But when tough times come, we seem to shrink back and we begin to let fear take the place of faith. And David, as he's going through this time in his life, this is where most uh, scholars think he penned Psalms 59. And verse 11 through 13 says this, Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And the cursing and lying which they speak consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Pause. Think about that. So verse 1 of chapter 19. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. Once again, Saul is so frustrated by all of of his chances that he's tried to kill David secretly, but he hasn't been able to do that. Now he's so bold, he tells his son and he tells those that are around him, yes, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to kill David. He's losing his mind. And he says in verse 2, So Jonathan told David, saying, my father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. We as believers, we need to understand that we have a secret place. If we are born again, that secret place is in Christ. It may not seem that way sometimes when trouble and trials and tribulations come out of our way and things seems to be going sideways, but the secret place is in Christ especially when we're walking in fellowship when we're walking in obedience to him we sense that his presence even more it says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 through 7 this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him here's the test and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, repented of our sins, and the Holy Spirit has come and filled us, we truly have a secret place in Christ. No weapon formed against us will be able to prosper. We should be satisfied. We should be full of confidence knowing that we are in Christ. Psalms 27.5 tells us, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. So that's where our confidence is, being in Christ. So he continues, he says, Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. Verse 3 And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Jonathan is a remarkable man. I, I. as I'm reading this chapter, I've, of course, I've read them before, but I'm amazed at Jonathan. One thing about Jonathan, we don't know much about his parents, but we do know about one of them, Saul. And at this point in life, Saul is not a good parent. I don't know if you guys had good parents or not so good parents, but the thing I like about Jonathan he honors his dad still and the only reason he honors his dad is because he honors God and that's it that's all Jonathan's heart is is to please God and that just backwashed on on us a, a Saul and we have to remember this once again whether you had good parents or bad parents we honor them because God allowed them to be the vessel that brought us into the world. If we honor them by not, for nothing else but that. And that's what Jonathan is doing. Jonathan is going to be by Saul's side when they're killed on Mount Geboa. But he still not, is not going to compromise God and his word. But he, he's right there with Saul. And it says in verse 4, Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, and we have to understand these are two grown men at the time. So he's, Jonathan is speaking to Saul. And this is how you go some, to someone and rebuke them. And he does this in a spirit, I believe, of gentleness. He says, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. That should have been enough right there. And because his works have been very good towards you, for he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul, and this is one of his saner moments at the time, he will vacillate back and forth. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. We know Saul is a liar here. Saul is not only a liar, he is a double-minded man. It seems as if he wants to do the right thing with the Lord in some places, and then quickly he reverts back to his evil ways because he will not submit to the Lord. Saul has been chastised. Saul has been disciplined, but now will he allow the peaceable fruit of of discipline to be brought forth in his life? And we know that he won't, but God has given him time and time again chances to repent of his sins. James chapter four, verse eight says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, Get rid of the sin. Put it away. That's what he means by cleanse your hands. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Mental health. And I believe there's people who have mental health issues, whether it's bipolar, whether it's schizophrenia, any of those things. But the Bible really doesn't speak on those things. The Bible deals with the heart of the issue. And the issue is the heart will you submit your life to Jesus Christ? My uh, nephew, he's bipolar. And I mean, maybe a little schizophrenic, in and out of jail, raised with a good mom and a good dad. But his issue is he knows he needs to take the medication, but he won't. And when he doesn't take it, he does stupid things and he ends up in trouble. And I was telling him, I was telling you need to give your life to the Lord. Because then, as someone was telling me earlier, when you give your life to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is in you, that's when you become more disciplined. So even if you need that medication, you're disciplined enough to take the medication to help you. But most of the time, when the Bible speaks, he speaks that it's a heart problem, and we know that's what Saul's problem is. He's not, he, in the end, he might be turning schizophrenic, but all of Saul's problem is a heart problem because he will not bow his knee to the will of God. Saul is a jealous man, he's an envious man, and every time the one, it's, it's ironic, every time the one who really wants to help him, that's trying to look out for him, David, that rage, and anger comes upon him, and he acts out. So the Lord says, purify your heart. Verse 7, then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. So he's back in the service of Saul. And there was war again. Ever notice when you're going through anything, Life doesn't stop, so you're having to juggle your issues or whatever you're going through, and then the busyness of life, it it never stops. That's what David is doing. It's tough enough fighting your enemies, but when you're fighting someone who's supposed to be in the household of faith with you, that makes it even tough. That's what David is going through here. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and they fled from him. I'm not good at multitasking. You can ask the pastors and the elders, I'm focused on one thing and they have to remind me, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that. I'm a one view focused guy. But God can multitask. He speaks and he does speak to every heart in here when he wants to all at one time. And when I'm looking at Saul, and, and as I look at Saul, and as I look at David, I used to love cartoons as a little kid growing up. And Saul reminds me of uh, Wally the Coyote and David the Roadrunner. And Wally Coyote is trying all these different act me this and try this to kill David. And David is just running, smiling, not worried about it. Right now, he's not worried about it because he's walking in faith. He knows what Samuel has said. And so Saul, once again, is being so frustrated because he cannot kill David. Even when he's playing the lyre or the harp, he gets frustrated. And it says in verse 9, Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. And I'm sure he was looking at Saul the whole time. Victor, I I need to understand, and we all need to understand that God does not wink at sin. God doesn't say, oh, boys will be boys. No, his son paid a huge price that we would live righteous lives. Hebrews 10 31 tells us, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. At this point, Saul, I don't think he's reprobate yet, but he's very close of becoming that way. Because the Lord is still, in my opinion, is still trying to call him. Yes, his dynasty, he gave that up. Yes, uh, the kingship, he's given that up. But that's not all. What about his soul? And that's what Saul is not thinking of. All Saul is thinking about the here here. And now, what I had, what I could have had, but all that stuff is wood, hay, and stubble. Seek first the kingdom of God, but Saul, he doesn't see that. Ephesians chapter 4, because of his anger and because of his rage and because of his uh, jealousy toward David, verse 26, 27 says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Because of Saul's double-mindedness and his pride, he has given Satan a foothold in his life. Once again, remember Job. Oh, if you let me get to Job, God, I'll have him curse you to your face. But you put a hedge around him. And so that's what the enemy does in our lives, day in and day out. No, I'm sure it's not Satan spying us but it's probably one of his minions watching and seeing where we are most vulnerable. And if we don't protect those areas, if we don't pray about those areas, if we don't hedge those areas in and yield to the Lord, well, then the enemy is just waiting for an opportune time. That's Saul's problem. He won't repent of his sin. He's thinking about the here and now. Then Saul Sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. This will begin a 10 to 15 years of exile from David, running from Saul, fleeing from Saul. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. This guy doesn't give up. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. David deflects her fear with faith because he says in Psalms 59, 16, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. In Psalms 59, uh, David depicts Saul's action towards him and those other men's going after him, trying to hunt him down. It says verse, in verse two through four, deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression nor my sin. He says I haven't did anything wrong against them, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold. So he says in verse 12, so Michael let down David through a window. Who else was let down through a window to escape? That's good, but I didn't think about that. One, tell me, I'm not going any further. Thank you. Thank you. Paul, the apostle. It's ironic that happens. We have to flee sometimes. But it's in God's will that we flee. It's no shame in fleeing. Jesus fled many of times. I'm thinking of John chapter 8, when they take him to the brow of the hill. And some supernatural reason, he just walks through the crowd and, and leaves them. So there's nothing wrong with that. He's fleeing. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with cloth this is a teraphim a household idol i'm amazed because rachel remember she hid laban's household idols in her sat under the saddle so i guess they come in small medium and large most <laughs> most commentators says it was probably the bust but it could have been the entire body but she's fooling them once again, Saul's intention, remember, he gave David Michael so that she would become a snare to him. So all alone, Saul is trying to get rid of David. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, "He is sick. He has COVID." Then Saul sent maybe I know, forgive me Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David saying, "Bring him up to me in the bed." He's wanting to kill him, that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So we know that's a lie, a chip after the old block, same old block. So she is conniving also. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah. It's always good to know when pressure is on you, when things aren't going well, he didn't go to the bar, he didn't go to the club, he went to other believers in Christ. Iron sharpens iron. And told him all that Saul had done to him. It seems as if he goes to Samuel's home, then they go somewhere else here. And he and, he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Naoth means dwelling or tent. Now it, was, now it was told Saul saying, take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. So he has some spies out there. Verse 20, then Saul sent messengers to, David, to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, And Samuel, standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. It seems as if these guys, these messengers, when they would get there, they would get this ecstatic feeling a euphoria and they would fall down and they would begin to prophesy to the Lord. And the main point I want you to understand here is God is allowing this to happen because he's the one that's protecting David right here. I like what Matthew Henry says about this. He says, God showed how he can when he pleases uh, striking all upon the worst of men. By the tokens of his presence in the assemblies of the faithful and forced them to acknowledge that God is with them of a truth because they were going to take David and kill him. But God is not going to allow that to happen. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well, the great well that is at Sucha. So he asked and said, where are where are Samuel and David? So this is Saul. And someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. This is Samuel. I mean, this is Saul. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also, and note, this is the Lord working. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner. Now, this is what the other guys did. They stood and they were prophesying. So also, he's beginning to prophesy. He strips off his clothes, and the scriptures tells us, and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Why would God do this to Saul? Remember back in 1 Samuel when Jonathan and David make their oath. He says, John, he says, David, I know you're going to be king. Remember what Jonathan did? He took off his outer garments, he gave him his shield, his sword, and everything, and gave it to him in submission to David, knowing that this is the Lord's will, and I want to be obedient to the Lord. Lord's will. Well, Saul knows the same thing. Samuel told him that the kingdom has been stripped from you and given to, given to another that is better than you. So Saul knew all along that he should have submitted, but he's not submitting to the Lord. So when he comes to slay David, he takes off all his clothes. He, he gave him his emblems. He gave him his mark. He, gave, he laid down his armor and everything, just like his son Jonathan did willingly. With the presence of the Holy Spirit upon Saul, he does that all day and all night. And this also gives David an opportunity to flee at this time. So God is going to have his way. Yet have I set my king on his holy hill of Zion. It's best to submit to the Lord, surrender to the Lord, and allow him to have his way in your life. He says, is Saul also among the prophets? He had said that in 1 Samuel 10, 12. And they said that the first time as if, I can't believe Saul is one of the prophets, but they say this this time in bewilderment. I I told you, Saul's not one of the prophets here. And so it's just a sad state. It doesn't matter. I used to be hung up on Lord, why don't you give me the gift of speaking in tongues? I always hear people talk about speaking in tongues. You never gave me that gift. So far, not yet. Why don't you give me this gift? But he's given me what he's wanted to. My point is, it doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues until Jesus comes back. What matters are we walking with the Lord? Judas. Preached sermons. Judas, I'm sure, worked miracles, and yet and still, Judas wasn't a believer. Matthew 7, 21, 23, lets us know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's the key. Are we practicing sin? So it doesn't matter a gift that the Lord might bestow upon you or you have. It's, are we walking in obedience with the Lord? Proverbs 1430 says this, because this is Samuel's this is Saul's problem. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. We should be envy, envious of no one because God has all given us gifts. He's, all, he's called everyone that he has called into his kingdom. He's given us gifts. And so let's use those gifts for his glory and for his honor. Chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah. And went and said to Jonathan, and it seems as if David just explodes, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Ever been there? You've did everything you knew how to do. You've worked in integrity and people are still throwing javelins at you. You, you haven't even did anything wrong, and if you did, you say, hey, forgive me, but that's not enough. People are still throwing javelins at you, and that's what's happening to David here. David is pouring out his heart to Jonathan. So Jonathan said to him, by no means you shall not die, because Jonathan had spoken to Saul and Saul had given an oath, no, I'm not going to kill David. And so that's what Jonathan was banking on. They're having this conversation, David and Jonathan. Jonathan is at least 10 to 15 years older than David. That takes even more humility and submission that I'm the crown prince, Jonathan. And yet I know that the Lord has chosen you and I've submitted myself to the Lord's will. And once again, anytime we submit to the Lord's will, Lord's will that's the only thing that matters. He will handle everything else. But yet, Jonathan continues to submit, and he's trying to let David know that, hey, uh, Saul's not going to do anything, but he is. So Jonathan said to him, by no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. He keeps me in the loop of all these things, but he doesn't. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor. I have found grace in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. It's serious. I'll listen to you, David. Once again, we know that there's no way uh, David is going to die here. Samuel has anointed him king. If God wanted him dead, the lion or the bear or Goliath could have killed him, but he's going to be king. And this reminds me of Daniel chapter 5, verse 23, the latter part, and it says this, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Speaking of Belshazzar here. You know, we tend to think we're indestructible. I used to think I was indestructible until I hit about 50. Then I start finding out bones begin to ache. I'm not so indestructible. And it's easy to think you're indestructible When you're young, I can warn all of you when you're young, but God gives us so much grace that he allows us to become older and we begin to find out we're not indestructible. We're really fragile. And David, understanding this, David says, there is but a step between me and death. Boy, if we lived like that. Augustine said this, Augustine said this, listen to what he says the Lord keeps that step secret so that we might measure the rest of our steps because there is one that God knows is set aside for us. God keeps that step secret so that we might measure the rest of our steps. I brag about fat girl all the time. She's my baby. And the reason, one reason I brag about her is because With her health situation, she says it all the time. This keeps me close to the Lord. Because I don't know what day he might call me. He could call me any day. But if we think about it, that's all of us. So we need to order our steps that way. Psalms 90, Moses says, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do we do that? Do we understand, as I was talking to someone a minute ago, you know, we plan things, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And he said, the Lord is teaching me to truly take one day at a time, live my best for you this one day at a time. And if I get another day, then I'll live that day for you, Lord. But I don't want to get ahead of you. So we need to understand that our days are numbered. He says in verse five, and David said to Jonathan, here's the plan. Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, and this is what he's saying, Jonathan, I want you to lie for me. It's not no way of getting around that. That's exactly what's going on here. David is not perfect. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Once again, David is desperate. He's human just like us. He he is weary from all of this fleeing for Saul. He hasn't did anything wrong, and he's tired of being confronted by him. Verse 8, therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, David speaking, he tells Jonathan, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me, or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Verse 12, then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness, When I have sounded out my father, when I found out what's going on, my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father once upon a time. And you shall not only show me, so Jonathan is looking forward long-term here, because he knows, I think Jonathan has more faith than David here, because of the promise he's making him make here. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever know not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. David, I know you're going to be king. He's probably told Jonathan this, and Jonathan can see the anointing on him and see the actions of David's life. And he said, I want you to do this for me. When you become king, because in that culture, sometimes when another dynasty would come on the scene if the king really had problems, he would kill all the male heirs so he didn't have to look over his shoulder. So that's what he's speaking of here. And he's saying, Jonathan, don't do that to my family. Be faithful to me. And that's what Jonathan is going, that's what David is going to do here. Once again, all Saul had to do was surrender and submit. The Lord would, I believe with all my heart, the Lord would have still blessed them until he stopped being king. At least he was following the Lord. But Saul put all of his eggs in one basket, the basket of the here and now. Saul didn't care. All Saul wanted to be is king. And my point is, Saul would have said, I give it all up. That's what he's saying. I give it all up the afterlife, I will rather be in hell and be king for 40 or 50 years. That's a fool. That's a fool hearted move. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for? So even if he would have become king and never gave his life to the Lord, We know what would have happened to him. Jonathan doesn't do that. Jonathan says, Lord, yeah, I would like to be king. I know I was in line to be king. I believe I would have made a great king, but that's not your will for me. So let me pray. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's the life that believers are called to live. It's all about submitting and surrendering our will to the Lord. And Jonathan does a great job of doing this because he pushed all of his chips in the center of the table and said, Lord, here it is. Yes, I would have loved to have been king, but your choice is David. So I'm going to serve him because what I care about more than... People saying, Jonathan has killed his 10,000s, and everybody's screaming at Jonathan. What I care about is not the uh, acclades of the world, all of the fanfare of the world. What I care about, are you pleased with me, Lord? That's what matters to me, and that should be every believer's heart. Lord, are you pleased with me? And He says, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. Verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So once again, are we willing to love someone at the cost of our own throne. That's, that's what's put before us here. Then Jonathan said to David, here's the plan. Tomorrow is the new moon. And the new moon was a, a feast at the end of the month that the whole families would get together. And I'm thinking about all these feasts. I mean, you had the Sabbath, you had a feast at the end of the month. We need to go back to those things. We need to celebrate these things. I mean, they're having a great barbecue and everyone is supposed to show up and be there. That's what's happening here. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel, stone of departure." departure. That's ironic. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send the lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come then. As the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way for the Lord has sent you away. And that's exactly what happens. The Lord sends him away. I'm reminded of of Saul, Paul of Tarsus, three and a half years in in the backside of Arabia, learning of the Lord. That's what David is about to do. David David has all of these questions. Why is this happening to me, Lord? I thought you said this. I thought you said that. But in his fleeing, the Lord will be speaking to him and getting him ready to rule a nation here. So the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you, ha- you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. This reminds me of Laban and Jacob. When Laban tracks Jacob down when he takes off and flees with his entire family, remember he finds them there and he begins after the Lord had told Laban, don't rebuke him. Well he went, he goes on and rebukes him a little anyway and then they make that covenant. May the Lord be between me and you while we're absent one from another. I told you guys growing up in that Baptist church, uh, Pleasant Hill, after every Sunday school service, uh, the deacons would get up and they would quote that verse. And I thought that was a, you know, a good verse to quote, but it's not. It's, a, it's for people who you don't agree with. You think they're shady and you're making a covenant. Hey, now, if you cross this line, May the Lord do this to you. And if I go past this this area I said I wouldn't, may the Lord do so to me. And that's what he's saying here. Laban and and, uh, Jacob made this covenant. And that's what David is doing here with Jonathan. And we're going to find out, once again, David is in the will of the Lord. A lot of commentators tell us that David is not walking in faith here but I don't see how they could say that when it says, and the Lord sent him away. He's fleeing because God has to cultivate him and work in his life so that when it's time, because he's going to have many times to kill Saul. The reason he doesn't kill Saul is why? Because he's made that covenant with Jonathan. That's why when everybody is saying, kill him, he's there, kill him. He remembers the covenant he made with Jonathan, and he will remember that covenant when uh, Jonathan and his dad and his two brothers are killed on Mount Gilboa, and one is left, Mephibosheth, and he will bring him into his kingdom because of the covenant. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ has did for us. We are in a covenant relationship with him. And he, by far, we get the better deal. I mean, For him to want us in a covenant relationship, when he does all of the work, we do nothing. And what we do for him, we do it by his grace, by the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So as we look at this, I want us to concentrate on the opportunities after opportunities that God gives Saul. But he never turns. He becomes a reprobate. And we don't want, if we know people that have backslidden, we need to be praying for them and that the Lord will continue. It was Jesus who said, a bruised reed or a smoking flax, I will not despise. That means when you're thinking you're about to fall away and, and give up, cry out to me, call out to me, I'm your savior, savior and I will help you. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to be able to dive into your word, to allow your word to examine our hearts, Lord, to show us where we need to prop up areas, Father, to show us that we need to be diligent in seeking you. Also to remember that, Lord, we we should never and can never, we can, but we should never put our walk with you in neutral because when we do that, we're going backwards We're never going forward. So like the Apostle Paul said, Lord, may we run this race with endurance. May we finish well. And those that are young, may they continue to walk in a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's worth it. He's worth it. Holy Spirit, may you continue to prod us, convict us, encourage us. Do all those things that only God can do to spur us on to love and good deeds. Lord, I continue to lift up uh, those that are all of the refugees in Ukraine, in Poland, all those different places, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would move. I pray that it's your will that you would end this war quickly, Father. Lord, I pray for the, the uh, missionaries that's going over there, that's already over there, Lord, that you would protect them, that they will continue to show the love of Jesus Christ and, and be there, Lord, and just give them a, a shelter of a protection, Father God. Lord, I know you are sovereign and your will will be done. So give your children faith to just trust in you and lean not to our own understanding. Don't get ahead of you. Your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than ours, but we submit and surrender to you because we know that you are good and you do everything well. So protect us, protect Calvary, restore, pour your grace upon us. May we be a city on a hill and we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.